from Tam O'Shanter. When Chapman Billy's leave the street and Druthy neighbours neighbours meet, as market days are wearing late and folk begin to tack the gate, while we sit boozing at the nappy and getting through an unca happy, we think now of the long scout smiles, the mosses, waters, slaps and styles that lie between us and our home, where sits our sulky, sullen dame, gathering her brows like a gathering storm, nursing her wrath to keep it warm. Robert Burns. Or as we like to say, Ravi Burns. And that Ravi. was re- <laughs> and that was read by the wonderful Jim McNeish. And, and I uh, we have Kirsty Mac, Mac there. Kirsty Mac, the two the most Scottish <laughs> names ever to be talking about Ravi Burns. Oh, here I am gathering my brows like a gathering storm. <laughs> um I love that. Oh my goodness, the visual of that is delicious. Have you never nursed your wrath to keep it warm? Like just oh, violent. <laughs> by the time I'm done, it is violent. Uh, by the time I'm finished with them, they'll be blistered green. <laughs> <laughs> there will be subtitles in this one, people. There will be subtitles. Yes. So, Jim McNeish, firstly, how are you? Secondly, what are we talking about? I am really good. I'm in a good place. And uh, we're talking about rage. And that's partly about it, because I think this is a much maligned emotion. And I think it's because our society hasn't nurtured it. I think Southern cultures nurture it a lot more. And they've got a lot more capacity with the expressed rage. Um, But we keep it in the shadows. And so therefore it manifests itself in bigotry and war and political warfare. We haven't learned how to express it passionately and constructively. It's like a smouldering fire that leaps up into the hands of inexperienced operators and then creates all sorts of collateral damage and too much destruction. I think rage is a hugely, hugely energetic emotion and it can fan passion into flames. It can defend us, articulate our shadow, reveal us in our wholeness, bypass our habitual restrictions, propel us into action. And um, I think when it was expressed in childhood, early stages of childhood, um, particularly in the right to exist and to will were challenged. Um, when we didn't have all the words, it was a way of just trying to protest our needs. When it was dampened too much at that point, we learned not to share it as the form of intimacy that it is. And um, we find that in the UK, impassioned self-expression is really approved of. I, I like those those countries where it is. And, and I know that I came from a home where my parents would roar at each other. <clears throat> and I would roar back at them and get annoyed by them. And um, I, my parents were my best friends, you know, uh, when we grew up. And it was, there was just nothing ever kind of hidden. We, we knew each other and, and they bugged me. They had shadow, of course they did, but I knew their shadow. I was intimate with it mm-hmm. and I accepted it. It was like, a way of working with humanity and, and the family held it. So like, I think just rage is, is really, really important. How about I love, you? I love how passionate you are about rage. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just, I just love, I'm lucky enough, I get to watch you talk about this. It's just like, I mean, I'm a redhead. I'm all for the rage thing. Like this is, this is my podcast. I'm in, mean, you know, yeah. I, I, there is, it's just, you know, and, and we are recording this in, what, where are we? sort of the start of November. I mean, there's no examples of, <laughs> of rage out there in the world right now. 2020. 
speak of uh, 2020. And, and so that's, you know, rage has other expressions, doesn't it? So you've got, a probably we're probably, as a society, our culture is happier with the milder version of it, you know, anger, happier mm -hmm. and inverted commas for some. Hatred is, you know, that externalized version of it. You know, there's so there's there's such deep elements that kind of come in there. But you know, like you say, if if you've been in a relationship, you know, you know, like your relationship with your parents. You know, my relationship with my parents, my brother was there's a whole host of rage that went on there. But you know that, but there's also that whole thinking of those relationships that hate and love are really closely linked together, aren't yes. they? You know, it's a force. It's a force towards someone else. Aye. But Gay Houston, the gestaltist, she talks about it. She says there's a difference between white anger and red anger. You know, if um, Tam O'Shanter's wife hadn't been at home, like uh, nursing her wrath to keep it warm, instead, she'd have been out the door and away and left him. But instead, he was going to get it when he got in. Yeah. Leaving him would have been white anger. It would have been... That's it, we're done, I'm pulling back. But red anger, this red anger brings somebody into an experience of us. It's like, come here, you. You will hear what things are going on inside of me. It's motivated towards intimacy. And I think that if you think about the people that you rage the most at, it's the people that you're most intimate with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, poor Billy. Um, <laughs> Just, we could all send him some love, people. I send him the rage. <laughs> and, 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 you know, there's, you know, this year in particular, have we seen a collective rage? Yes. You know, have we seen as, you know, our sort of, our union psychotherapist would say, you know, war is a way for a nation to express its pent-up rage. Has this been our war? Wow. And, you know, whilst... Um, we may laugh at some of the politicians that use it as a battleground, as a war in, in terms of their linguistics. But has it been? Has it been our war? And, and has it been a, a, this whole nation, you know, conforming to a culture to fit in, to, you know, to, to get along with each other, to, uh, to, to sort of behave idly? You know, is, is there this need for this wild expression, this rage? To, yeah, to wouldn't it be great? Because like a war comes along every sort of 60 years, 70 years. Mm -hmm. So we're, we were due one. And they kind of say this built up thing. And, and what if this is it? What if we've had it in terms of, you know, ethnic dispute, um, wealth disparity um, between nations, kind of the fallouts and stuff. And then COVID just creating a lot of death and a lot of unrest. Um, I wonder if we could tick the box on our 60 or 70 year need for a splurge from the shadow. And maybe we'll get back to 2021, 20, 22, a sense of building and growing again. And like that happens after every war, a sense of collaboration, a sense of closeness and celebration. I wonder if that could be the case. I would love it if it was. You know, has enough shadow, because <laughs> I mean, I do ask this in a several. <laughs> Have we not had enough shadow? Um, you know, has has enough been released? You know, we were talking about it the other day. I think we said it in a podcast earlier. There's been a lot of divorces. There's been a lot of divorces um, this year. There's a lot. 
planned. <laughs> I know. You know we're going to see a mo- lot more coming. And I wonder if it just needed the opportunity for, yeah. I wonder what Rage could have done if they'd have really, really expressed their feelings towards each other. I, I, I remember learning a big lesson with that because I, I've always, I'm always much more attuned to the feelings of other people. I don't, yeah. I don't rage at them. I don't express it. And so I'm, I'm pretty good at keeping the peace. But I remember there was one client I had and uh, she uh, did me a really apologetic email to say that the team build I was planning to do for them next week had to be postponed because the board had to do something else. So it was a two-day team build. Could I asked, sure, no problem. That happens. Uh, there's, no, there's no bother with that. And then she did it again and apologized profusely again. And then a third time, and I, I got a, an email from her saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to move it again. Fourth, fifth. And then on the sixth time, I got a, a, an email that was just a one-liner, just saying, oops, uh, going to have to move don't, it again. Don't, don't, you didn't. I just fear for that woman's life. So I was like, oops. So I'll, I'll give you oops. So I went on to the email and um, I, I was told a technique that's really useful is you just blast them on the email and then you delete it, you know, so you get oh, it out of no. your system. Oh, but no. I was a, I was just really silly about it. A tube, as we would say in bonus. Um, I was a bit of a tube about it. I went on as a reply to her oops. And I said, I'm not going to send it. But of course, you've done it. I read it. I read it through. I thought, yeah. And it was just this rage. It was it was terrible. It was it was just vitriol. And then I just automatically pressed send at the end and off it went. And I I was, I was how do you get that back? What's this reclaim thing? But anyway, if it's not to actually take it back, I don't I'm going to get it. And I panicked. I just sent her this terrible over the top like childlike thing you call yourself a friend I'll tell you what a friend does oh it was it wasn't even so I sounded like some like you know old kind of neighbor or something like that just complaining and gossip to my mom and oh, I'll tell you another thing and, and and I sent it to this client and I was just mortified and so my assistant at the time John he thought it was hilarious and he was giggling I'm striding back and forth in the office really upset and then the phone went and John was like, mm-hmm, he's right here. Yeah, is it? And I was like, no. Oh. So I went on the phone and I immediately, I am so sorry. I never actually went, you didn't mean to send that, did you? I said, I didn't, I didn't. I was like, she went, listen, forget it. I was like, no, I'm so sorry. I'm so, she was like, no, no, listen. What I'm telling you is thanks for sending it. She went, we are outrageous. We have treated you quite badly. And it was really good to get some real response from you. I feel like I'm more of a friend now rather than a client. And I was just staggered, like from my personality style, which usually does hold it all together and, and kind of keep things in. It was like, it was such a breakthrough for me to just hear that with grace from her point of view, but also just actually in her world, that was us connecting because she saw a little bit of my shadow and she saw a little bit of what I was hiding underneath as I was pretending everything was okay. Can we just imagine people listening to this just going, right, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Jim said. (laughs) So online, just as you speak. um, I've got two friends that I was initially was friendlier with um, the, well, I became friends with the man in the relationship. um, And then I met his wife after that. I remember the first couple of times I thought, this isn't going to last. Mm. They, are, they are angry. They are angry people. Mm-hmm. And always at each other consistently. Mm-hmm. 
and are if 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 I was to map out all of my friends in front of me, I would say they are the people that would definitely stay together. <laughs> they are the most loving. They are the most connected to each other. They are just they are a solid unit of deep anger. I would say, but solid. They are yeah. connected. They are with each other. They are the people that it's that's a unit that is there. But it's yeah. the expression is is it was it blew me away in terms of how they express themselves. But it's expressing passion, isn't it? And yeah. and that begs a question, you know, like just what you're saying is like, what are we advocating? Are we advocating that you start kind of like, you know, going out in the car park and yes. sorting each other out and stuff Absolutely. like that? Um no. No, we're not advocating violence or even being nasty to people. It's, it starts with self-awareness. Like, can you feel the anger? Like, Kirsty, how do you know that you're raging? Like, when you're raging, how do you know? What happens to you? I am quiet. You go quiet. Mm-hmm. And then what do you become physically aware of? What does it feel um, like in your body? I'm very still. Everything within me is very still. Um, so it's feel, I feel like it's, um, I'm drawing power just from the external environment. I feel like I'm drawing power into <laughs> this, what's about to happen. Um, very still, very solid, very, I can feel sort of tightness within me, but it doesn't feel restrictive in any way. Yeah it feels there's there's an energy to it it's solidifying into something absolutely powerful yeah i can hear some of that it's funny because i I, I, when i've started to rage i go cognitive right away which is i try and calm myself down and tell myself oh don't overreact you're always overreacting and I, i do an initial thing that tries to just make it go away and quite often that can be quite effective and then i can deal with the situation then maybe further down the line i can talk about an infringement or something but if I'm overworking it, <clears throat> I know that something has happened that I'm going to have to defend myself to or I'm going to have to express myself with. And soon I let that go and I say, OK, you know, wh- where has there been a violation? And then I can feel just under my heart, I can feel the beginning of a weight, a solid, solid weight beginning to form. It's like this is going to need closure. So you you're know, up first and then into your body up here and there I can recognize the pattern and then stage two is about self-expression and that's like how can you express your anger once you get really skilled at it how do you express it in a way that does least damage or even does helps to progress a relationship what does that conversation look like with whom how do you not self-betray but at the same time, how do you take the other person into account? And then how do you remember? This is a bit I think really helpful for me with self-expression. How do you remember that you make mistakes as well? Mm-hmm. That you get it wrong sometimes and that you're sometimes selfish and that you're sometimes self-protective and all of those things. So how do you, before you start your expression of it, how do you not put yourself in a box called being of pure light and the other person in the box called them that must be punished? Yeah. You know, like, it's like, start kind of just saying, right, okay, we've got to try and manoeuvre through some complexity here. I can't self-betray. I need to talk about it. You need to understand that some of that wasn't okay or or that I need to just express some anger. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm not a perfect being and I don't need you to be either. 
Yeah, I think that's been a big learning for me because, you know, having an element of redheadedness, I know it's helped, but there is a natural element to it. Um, I, I would have been very volatile and then thought, oh, <laughs> Jinx Crivens, maybe not, <laughs> maybe not have said that out loud. That was my internal conversation. And so the drawing of the power is about its power but grounding me to that just call Annie Christy and and remember exactly that you know there's there is truth in your wrongness um and where you've been and you've done this and and just really is taking that breath and that's why I think staying quiet is probably a learned Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it is probably a learned behavior for me because it wouldn't, no, you know, normally be. Mum would be, you know, hitting me with a slipper and I'd <laughs> be trying to get back at her. Um, <laughs> but I think the quietness, and it's very different to what I usually am. And so I think actually it calls up a difference in the other person when I'm very quiet. Um, but it also is bringing me back to, right, just still. Well, that kind of leads us to the third one, which is this idea of self-possession. You know, as you learn self-expression, you learn, you know, um, then you learn about self-possession. So once, you, once you're aware of it, you express it, and then you get this idea of self-possession where you get mastery at recognising it. Like th- this morning, I did really well. I got angry yeah. uh, twice, and, and, and a bit of it, I kind of got my own kind of culpability in it. And then a second bit, I got how to handle a conversation that the other person was resisting which would normally have made me more angry but actually instead I did some understanding I did some caring and kind of helped some of helped them through it and I think um it's it's withdrawing your shadow from those conversations the desire to punish judge run rackets just expressing the need for closure and how this gets to closure and we get back to being better as a result I think that becomes a self-mastery which is I'm expressing this because I want to get to be fully innocent with you again, fully present. I want all of me to be there, all of you to be there. And then I want it closed so that it can move on. That's what the rage is actually trying to achieve rather than punishment, judgment, or making the other person wrong. Absolutely. And it is, it's, it's like, you know, it's, a, it's it is challenging to know how far to let it go with people. And we, as you said, you know, we're not advocating going out and getting it loud in the car park. <laughs> um, it, it, and it is, it's about, so I'm going to own it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to own it's my reaction and I'm going to frame it here's why I want to talk with you here's what I want to talk about I'm going to check that the other person is able to hear that because they might be in a mist and um, oh. there might be rage coming for them there might be defensiveness coming from them you know checking their understanding how are you hearing this and and fundamentally just understanding what am I trying to achieve here you know, this is what I want and being really clear about that and saying that with volition and and then check, rechecking that understanding. It is. And, and also, if you're on the receiving end of rage, you know, like just that interpersonal thing, sometimes when you're on the receiving edge, it's getting that sense of what's sitting behind it. I had a really good friend that whenever his kids would trip and fall, he'd rage at them. Mm. And he was just terrified for them. It was, it was a deep care it came from and, and helping him to see that there was a more powerful way of expressing that care that would result in less tripping up was what was really effective for him. 
And one thing that I remembered it'll always stick with me was um, I um, was out in the back garden with my dad and my brother. I'd be about maybe five or six. And um, I, um, my brother had his bike upside down. He was doing something with the chain and I whirled it and had my finger in and it, the, the spoke kind of pierced my finger, the, the bit of the, um, the track, it pierced into my finger and I yelled. And my dad came out and said, what's this, what's this? And he started to shout and yell. My dad was always quite angry. And um, saying to Sam, what are you doing? You've got the Wayne, the Wayne. Uh, that, that was punishment yeah. enough for a six-year-old B-boy. Uh, you've got the Wayne doing this and, and um, look at his finger, it's all cut. And you should never have been sticking your finger in there anyway. And we both got like told off. And when we turned my, um, I had a relative visiting and he was an older boy, he was older than my, my, my brother and he filled up with tears. And um, then my dad took him into the house and they had a chat. And um, we just kind of thought, oh, a bit soft. But we'd also seen him in fights and stuff before we knew he was quite tough. But actually it was only, um, you know, maybe when my dad was older, it was actually not long before he died. I remember having him out on a Sunday and I remembered that, that memory. And I said to him, you know, do you remember that? And he said, yeah, I do. He said, what was upsetting him is that he wished his dad would sometimes shout at him, that his dad kind of was involved enough in his life, was caring enough, was actually giving something of himself in the way that he saw me when I was giving you guys a row. Um, he missed that. Like, wow. But I think it's some of those stories that's made me see rage in a very different way. Somebody is very committed to that conversation with you when they're raging at you. Yeah. There's a lot of them wrapped up in it. I saw that in my brother. I think um, uh, my brother sort of acted out a lot in, in primary school um, to the point where he would sort of kick the teacher. Bless wow. him. Um, and, and he, you know, I, I absolutely. And, and so it'd be like, Russell's wrong. He did this, he did this. And it was just like, and my mum was brilliant. And she said, you know, she was just like, okay, so what's going on for you? Just, you know, she would sit him down and, and talk to him and and one, she'd be like, no one says my boy's wrong. Um, <laughs> I'm sure she took a slipper, a slipper to the teacher as well, but yeah. but really that for Russie and, and I saw it as we went into adulthood was, was connection, was hear me, listen. I mean, it was such a big cry for connection, for being yes. heard, for being seen, for allowing him to be who he was um all masked in rage all masked in anger but was just so much heartache and love that was attached to all right it is it's, it's usually what's pushing it that's terrific do you know there was one of the most interesting things i ever witnessed was um the expression of rage in terms of showing the shadow of a group Right. I was on a training, yeah, I was on a training programme with Robert Diltz. Robert Diltz and Ian McDermott were up the front and they were enrolling the whole group, there was 200 of us there, in building a bit more of a community. And um, there was a woman there and she was dressed entirely in African national dress, um, one of the African states. And um, she put her hand up and she said, it's great, she said, but how are we going to handle the shadow as it emerges in the community? And neither Robert nor Ian really answered it. I think they got a surprise at the question. They were like, uh, you know, 
some NLP things, reframes and all those things, but mm. they weren't, she was asking a really fundamental question. Then they gave their answer and there was a pause in the room and two people in the aisle both put their hands up and they both spoke. And then one said, um, just a minute. Another one said, no. And in this NLP group, within about five seconds, they were on their feet in each other's faces, roaring. I had never seen rage like it on any program, apart from once when there was a fight. But um, I saw a rage and a screaming and they were red in the face and they were just going at it. And I think that woman had some kind of thing. Mm. There was a gift or there was a, an ability in her. She tapped the rage by the timing of her question and the way she did it and the way she left it there and the way it was, suddenly there was a rage in the room and then we all had to put it back together again. We all had to talk about these things. Now that community never really took off and I think it was because there was an opportunity then. I wonder what would have happened if we'd have put that woman in charge of the conversation at that point. I wonder what could have been formed in the community. But she tapped it just by that, how do we handle the shadow in it and then the rage came out as an attempt to do it I think and then it didn't happen it was stunning how many of those are open-ended how many of those have we sat in I was at a wellness event at the start of this year it was a wellness here's here's the word wellness um and there was a yeah. fight there was like a fisticuff fight at it wow did and you I win? was just like absolutely <laughs> did I win of course I did my niche um, <laughs> <it's like, laughs> it's like um what is going on here but how many of those don't get dealt with and how many of them don't have the elegance of that lady to be able to have the conversation and and the grace of allowing the space to happen because what happened there was defensiveness and this and we'll we'll talk about it later we'll remove you out of the room whereas actually there was a lot going on there that could be dealt with in that space take the black lives matter i mean putting the political whatever that is aside there's a lot of people of color who have been disadvantaged mm -hmm. and who don't experience the privilege that is the right of others uh, who just have to have a, a different color of skin mm -hmm. And a lot of what they did this year was rage yeah. because they were really tired and fed up of well-collected, self-possessed, privileged people asking them very open, generous questions about it. And they were like, none of this changes anything. We want you to come into an experience of the life that we have. That's why the rage was there. The rage was actually generous. The rage is an attempt to relate. Yeah. It's an attempt to say, you're still not getting it. If you were getting it, you wouldn't be asking me these political, you know, questions that we all know what oubliette they end up in at the end of the day. That's that's why we're raging. That's why this is here. That's why we want to disturb and provoke you is we'd love you to come into a genuine experience of us because only then are we connected and really being heard. And I wonder if we ever got past that first bit. I wonder if there was just too many people making them wrong for the rage, as opposed to thinking, do you know what? There's a reason here. There are decades and decades and centuries of um, lack of access to the privilege that others experience that are now being experienced. And, and actually just downright hatred towards them that they wanted you to get. And, and, to, and there was a generosity in it that because we couldn't receive rage, because we couldn't be present to it, because it invalidated us in some way, it was that that had us withdraw from that conversation. 
I saw even Dave Chappelle and we were talking about Saturday Night Live. Um, there's a couple of things happening that just now, but um, Dave Chappelle did his monologue and he would say, he, he such wisdom, but he, very provocative, um, hard, hard, he, hard to hear mm-hmm. comments and he pokes the rage and then he puts humor around it and he pokes the rage and then he puts humor around it. And he said, he was very open. He said, I'm, I'm doing this because you're not ready to hear it. I have to use humor because you're not ready to hear it. Wow. It was just that, you know, and I was trying to listen to the laughter and trying to, is it canned laughter? Is there, are there people there because of the circumstances we're in? And it was astonishing and beautiful and graceful and brilliant. And, And there's that, I think we can use the anger as a, you know, as connection, as a dad. I know that checking in with my brother, if my brother doesn't answer messages and things because of things that have happened, my default is to worry. My default is to be concerned. Um, And sometimes it's not until I get angry, even just by sending him some messages or leaving him a voice that I get a reaction from him. Yeah. You know, I have access to him then. And it might be I send him some emojis or something that are just showing how displeased I may be with him. Um I want I want a response so that I know he's okay. Mm-hmm. He automatically responds because he knows that you know there's a there's just all of a sudden this tunnel opens up between the two of us and we have access to one another. And then we breathe a sigh of relief because we're like, okay, he's cool, okay, she's fine. But there's such connection in that. Yeah, I felt that this year, Kirsty. I had a friend of mine, a great guy, like just really great guy going through really horrific cancer. And I felt so angry at God. You know, my prayers were pretty insistent and I guess sometimes even accusatory. And and I just got the real sense of God not being scared of my honesty. It's like he wanted all of me in the prayer. It's not, it has to sound religious or those things. He wanted what's really on my heart. What am I passionate about here? Because, you know, I just wanted a result. And we got a result. The guy's cancer free and he's out and stuff. But in my prayers, they were, um, they were fervent and they were angry and they were, you know, what's going on? And, and heartfelt rather than, and they were honest and they weren't disrespectful to God, but they were angry with them about if you have the ability to, to sort this and it's not happening, why? And then I just feel like then I, I felt so close uh, in my faith. My faith's really strengthened this year, incredibly so, because I feel like I've brought all of me to it rather than just a religious presentable part. And suddenly I feel like I, I'm living much more whole in actually what that faith is. Mm. Um, and, and I think the more I understand this emotion, the more I let my my rage and my anger inform me. Um, I notice that I get angry at being ignored, misunderstood, repressed. And I get that that's what my rage is for. It's to point those things out that are happening. And now it propels me into conversation rather than the white anger it used to. I could write people off. I could move away. Um, And I recently felt uh, disrespected by a client and I asked for a meeting to talk it through. and, And it was resolved... Um, it was resolved almost within the first two or three minutes. It's one of the best conversations we had, the most honest. Um, 
but I also got a, a snapshot into when I'm operating in white anger, how patronizing and, and distant and unavailable I can be. And I've realized that one of the things that happens is that rage helps me overcome this. It makes me young again. It makes me want that connection. It makes me want to sort that out. And I feel increasingly that rage is one of the best parts of me. It's the youngest. It's the, the youngest of the emotions. It's the impulsive of it. And it keeps me in a very human relationship. And the more I learn how to express it in a loving, relational, bridge-building way, the more it keeps me feeling very present, experiential and alive. And so I will always defend it. I will always defend rage as just being so close to love that you can't help but see it as a positive attribute in the human condition. It just needs to be learned how to motivate us to get closer to each other rather than further apart. Do not go gentle into that good night. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. The wise men at their end know dark is right because their words had forked no lightning. They do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight, blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there in that sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Dylan Thomas. <laughs>